Section 7 of Police. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Courtney Miller. Police by Robert W. Chambers. The Immortal, Part 1. As everybody knows, the great majority of Americans, upon reaching the age of natural selection, are elected to the American Institute of Arts and Ethics, which is, so to speak, the Ellis Island of the Academy. Occasionally, a general mobilization of the Academy is ordered and, from the teeming population of the Institute, a new immortal is selected for the American Academy of Moral Endeavor by the simple process of blindfolded selection from who's which. The motto of this most stately of earthly institutions is a peculiarly modest, truthful, and unintentional epigram by Tupper. Unknown I became famous. Famous I remain unknown. And so I found it to be the case, for when at last I was privileged to write my name, Smith, academician, I discovered to my surprise that I knew none of my brother immortals, and, more amazing still, none of them had ever heard of me. This latter fact became the more astonishing to me as I learned the identity of the other immortals. Even the president of our great republic was numbered among these Olympians. I had every right to suppose that he had heard of me. I had happened to hear of him, because his secretary of state once mentioned him at Chautauqua. It was a wonderfully meaningless sensation to know nobody and to discover myself equally unknown amid that matchless companionship. We were like a mixed bunch of gods. Greek, Norse, Hindu, Hottentot, all gathered on Olympus, having never heard of each other but taking it for granted that we were all gods together and all members of this club. My initiation into the academy had been fixed for April 1st, and I was much worried concerning the address which I was of course expected to deliver on that occasion before my fellow members. It had to be an exciting address, because slumber was not an infrequent phenomenon among the immortals on such solemn occasions. Like dozens of dozing droves, a dull discourse always set them nodding. But always under such circumstances, the pretty ushers from Barnard College passed around refreshments. A suffragette orchestra struck up. The ushers uprooted the seated immortals and fox-trotted them into comparative consciousness. But I didn't wish to have my inaugural address interrupted. Therefore, I was at my wit's ends to discover a subject of such exciting scientific interest that my august audience could not choose but listen as attentively as they would listen from the front row to some deathless stunt in vaudeville. That morning I had left the Bronx rather early, hoping that a long walk might compose my thoughts and enable me to think of some sufficiently entertaining and unusual subject for my inaugural address. I walked as far as Columbia University gazed with rapture upon its magnificent architecture until I was as satiated as though I had arisen from a banquet at Child's. To aid mental digestion, I strolled over to the noble home of the Academy and Institute adjoining Mr. Huntington's Hispano-Moresque Museum. It was a fine, sunny morning, and the immortals were being exercised by a number of pretty ushers from Barnard. I gazed upon the impressive procession with pride unutterable. Very soon I also should walk two and two in the sunshine, my dome crowned with figurative laurels, cracking scientific witticisms with my fellow inmates, or, perhaps, squeezing the pretty fingers of some. But let that pass. I was, as I say, gazing upon this inspiring scene on a beautiful morning in February, when I became aware of a short and visibly vulgar person beside me, plucking persistently at my elbow. 
Are you the great academician, Professor Smith? He asked, tipping his pearl-colored and somewhat soiled bowler. Yes, I said condescendingly. Your description of me precludes further doubt. What can I do for you, my good man? Are you this here Professor Smith of the Department of Anthropology in the Bronx Park Zoological Society? He persisted. What do you desire of me? I repeated, taking another look at him. He was exceedingly ordinary. Prof, old sport, he said cordially. I took a slant at the papers yesterday, and I seen all about the big time these guys had when you rode the goat. Rode what? When you was elected. Get me? I stared at him. He grinned in a friendly way. The privacy of those solemn proceedings should remain sacred. It were unfit to discuss such matters with the world at large, I said coldly. I get you, he rejoined cheerfully. What do you desire of me? I repeated. Why this unseemly apropos? I was coming to it, Professor. I'll be frank. I need money. You need brains. No, he said good-humouredly. I've got em. Plenty of em. I'm overstocked with ideas. What I want to do is sell you a few. Do you know you are impudent? Listen, friend, I seen a piece in the papers as how you was to make the speech of your life when you ride the goat for these here guys on April 1st. I decline to listen one minute, friend. I want to ask you one thing. What are you going to talk about? I was already moving away, but I stopped and stared at him. That's the question, he nodded with unimpaired cheerfulness. What are you going to talk about on April the 1st? Remember, it's the hot air party of your life. Remember that each and every paper in the United States will print what you say. Now how about it, friend? Are you up in your lines? Swallowing my repulsion for him, I said, Why are you concerned as to what may be the subject of my approaching address? There you are, Prof, he exclaimed delightedly. I want to do business with you. That's me. I'm frank about it. Say, there ought to be a wad of the joyful in it for us both. What? Sure. We can work it any old way. Take Ting. Ting and Company. The typewriter people. I'd be ashamed to tell you what I can get out of them if you'll mention the Ting Ting typewriter in your speech. What you suggest is infamous, I said haughtily. Believe me, there is enough in it to make it a financial coup, and I ask you, Prof, isn't a financial coup respectable? You seem to be morally unfitted to comprehend. Pardon me. I'm fitted up regardless with all kinds of fixtures. I'm fixed to undertake anything. Now, if you prefer the Bunsen baby biscuit bunch, why old man Bunsen would come across... I won't do such things, I said angrily. Very well, very well. Don't get riled, sir. That's only one way to build on Fifth Avenue. I've got 100,000 other ways. I don't want to talk to you. They're honest, some of them. Say, if you want a strictly honest deal, I've got the goods. Only it ain't as easy and the money ain't as big. I don't want to talk to you. Yes, you do. You don't realize it, but you do. Well, you're fixin' to make the holler of your life, ain't you? What are you going to say? Hey? What are you aiming to say to make those guys set up? What's the use of upstaging? Ain't you willing to pay me a few plunks if I divulge to you the most startling phenomena that has ever electrified civilizations since the era of P.T. Barnum? I was already hurrying away when the mention of that great scientist's name halted me once more. The little flashy man had been taken along at my heels, talking cheerfully and volubly all the while, and now, as I halted again, he struck an attitude, legs apart, thumbs hooked in his armpits, and his head cocked knowingly on one side. Prof, he said, if you'd work in the Ting Ting Company, or fix it up with Bunsen to mention his baby biscuits as the most nutritious of condiments, there'd be more in it for you and me. But it's up to you. Well, I won't, I retorted. Very well, very well, he said soothingly. Then look over another line of samples. 
No trouble to show him. None at all, sir. Now, if P.T. Barnum was alive, I said very seriously, the name of that great discoverer falling from your illiterate lips has halted me a second time. His name alone invests your somewhat suspicious conversation with a dignity and authority heretofore conspicuously absent. If, as you hint, you have any scientific information for sale which P.T. Barnum might have considered worth purchasing, you may possibly find in me a client. Proceed, young sir. Say, listen, Bo, I mean, Prof, I've got the goods. Don't worry, I've got information in my think box that would make your kick-in speech the event of the century. The question remains, do I get mine? What is this scientific information? We had now walked as far as Riverside Drive. There were plenty of unoccupied benches. I sat down and he seated himself beside me. For a few moments I gazed upon the magnificent view. Even he seemed awed by the proportions of the superb iron gas tank, dominating the prospect. I gazed at the colossal advertisements across the Hudson, at the freight trains below. I gazed upon the lordly Hudson itself, that majestic sewer which drains the Empire State, bearing within its resistless flood millions of tons of insoluble matter from that magic fairyland which we call upstate to the sea. And thinking of disposal plants, I thought of that sublime paraphrase, from the Mohawk to the Hudson, and from the Hudson to the sea. Bo, he said, I gotta hand it to you. Them guys might have got wise if you had worked in the Ting Ting Company or the Bunsen stuff. There was big money into it, but it might not have went. I waited curiously. But this here dope I'm starting in to cook for you is a straight, reliable, and honest pill. P.T. Barnum, he would have went a million miles to see what I seen last January down in the Coquina country. Where is that? Say, that's what costs money to know. When I put you wise, I'm due to retire from active business. Get me? Go on. Sure. I was down to the Coquina country a-doin', well, I was doin' rubes. I gotta be honest with you, Prof. That's what I was a-doin' of. Sellin' farms underwater to suckers. Be beautiful Florida. Own your own orange grove. Seven crops of strawberries every winter in God's own country. Get me? He bestowed upon me a loathsome wink. Well, it went big till I made a break and got in Dutch with the Navy Department what was surveying the Everglades for a safe and sane harbor of refuge for the Navy in time of war. Sir, they was a-dredging up the farms I was selling, and the suckers heard of it and squealed something fierce, and I had to hustle. Yes, sir, I had to get up and mosey cross lots. And what with the federal government chasing me one way? And them rubes and the sheriff of Pickalucka County racing me t'other. I got lost for fair, yes, sir. He smiled reminiscently, produced from his pockets the cold and offensive remains of a partly consumed cigar, and examined it critically. Then he requested a match. I shall now pass over lightly or in subdued silence the painful events of my flight, he remarked, waving his cigar and expelling a long squirt of smoke from his unshaven lips. Suffice it to say that I got everything that was coming to me, and then some, what with snakes and mosquitoes, and briars and mud and hunger and thirst and heat. Wasn't there a wop named Pizarro or something what got lost down in Florida? Well, he's got nothing on me. I never want to see the damn state again, but I'll go back if you say so. His small rat eyes rested musingly upon the river. He sucked thoughtfully at his cigar, hooked one soiled thumb into the armhole of his fancy vest, and crossed his legs. To resume, he said cheerily, I come out one day, half-nude, onto the banks of the Miami River. The rest was a pipe after what I had went through. I trimmed a guy at Miami, got clothes and railroad fare, and ducked. Now the valuable portion of my discourse is this here partial information concerning what I seen or rather what I run onto during my cruel flight from my relentless persecutors. 
And these here is the facts. There is, contrary to maps, Coast Survey guides, and general opinion, a range of hills in Florida, made entirely of coquina. It's a good big range, too, 50 miles long and anywhere from 1 to 5 miles across. And what I've got to say is this. Into them there coquina hills, there still lives the expiring remains of the cavemen. What? I exclaimed incredulously. Or, he continued calmly, to speak more strictly, the few individuals of that there expiring race is now totally reduced to a few women. Your statement is wild. No, but they're wild. I've seen them. Being extremely beautiful, I approached nearer, but they hove rocks at me, they did, and they run into the rocks like squirrels, they did, and I was too much on the blink to stick around whistling for dearie. But I seen em. They was all dolled up in the skins of wild animals. When I see the first one, she was eaten onto an ear of corn, and I nearly catched her, but she run like hell now. Yes, sir. Just like that. So next I looked for some cave guy to waltz up and paste me, but no. And after I had went through them damn Kakina Mountains, I realized that there was nary a guy left in this here expiring race. Only women, and only about a dozen of them. He ceased, meditatively expelled a cloud of pungent smoke, and folded his arms. Of course, said I with a sneer. You have proofs to back your pleasant tale? Sure, I made a map. I see, said I sarcastically. You propose to have me pay you for that map? Sure. How much, my confiding friend? Ten thousand plunks. I began to laugh. He laughed too. You'll pay him if you take my map and go to the Kakina Hills, he said. I stopped laughing. Do you mean that I am to go there and investigate before I pay you for this information? Sure. If the goods ain't up to sample, the deal is off. Sample? What sample? I demanded derisively. He made a gesture with one soiled hand as though quieting a bulky horse. I took a snapshot, friend. You want to take a slant at it? You took a photograph of one of these alleged cave dwellers? I took ten, but when these here cave ladies have rocks at me, the films was part on the blink. All except this one, which I developed and printed. He drew from his inner coat pocket a photograph and handed it to me, the most amazing photograph I ever gazed upon. Astounded, almost convinced I sat looking at this irrefutable evidence in silence. The smoke of his cigar drifting into my face aroused me from a sort of dazed inertia. Listen, I said, half strangled. Are you willing to wait for payment until I personally have verified the existence of these, er, creatures? You betcher. When you have went there and have saw the goods, just let me have mine if they're up to sample. Is that right? It seems perfectly fair. It is fair. I wouldn't try to do a scientific guy. No, sir. Me without no education, only brains. Fat chance I'd have to put one over on an academy sport, what's chuck a block with Latin and Greek and scientific stuff and all like that. I admitted to myself that he'd stand no chance. Is it a go? he asked. Where's the map? I inquired, trembling internally with excitement. Ha ha, he said. Listen to my mirth. The map is inside here, old sport, and he tapped his retreating forehead with one nicotine-stained finger. I see, said I, trying to speak carelessly. You desire to pilot me. I don't desire to, but I gotta go with you. An accurate map, can it, old sport? An accurate map is all right when it's pasted over the front of your head for a face, but I wear the other kind of map inside me, conf. Get me? I confess that I do not. Well, get this, then. It's a cash deal. If the goods is up to sample, you hand me mine, then and there. I don't deliver no goods. F.O.B., I shows them to you. After you have them, it's up to you to round them up. That's all, as they say when our great president pulls a gun. There ain't going to be no shooting. Walk out quietly, ladies. After I'd sat there for fully ten minutes staring at him, I came to the only logical conclusion possible to a scientific mind. I said, you are, admittedly, unlettered. 
you are confessedly a chevalier of industry. Personally, you are exceedingly distasteful to me, but it is useless to deny that you are the most extraordinary man I ever saw. How soon can you take me to these coquina hills? Give me twenty-four hours to fix things, he said gaily. Is that all? It's plenty, I guess. And say, what? It's a strictly cash deal. Get me? I shall have with me a certified check for ten thousand dollars. Also a pair of automatics. He laughed. Huh, he said. I could look at your cabbage palm soup if I was that kind. I'm on the level, Professor. If I wasn't, I could get you in about a hundred styles while you was blinking at what you was a-thinking about. But I ain't no gunman. You had not to pull that stuff on me. I'll give you your chance to take it or leave it. I pondered profoundly for another ten minutes, and at last my decision was irrevocably reached. It's a bargain, I said firmly. What is your name? Sam Mink. Write it Samuel on that there certified check, if you can spare the extra seconds from your valuable time. End of section 7